0: Welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the Old Testament book of the minor prophet, Zechariah. The book of Zechariah contains more visions and prophecies regarding Christ and the end times than all the rest of the minor prophets combined. The role of the prophet was to tell God's people what God thinks about them and what they are doing or not doing. God cares about his people and he cares about everything in their lives. The book of Zechariah reminds us of God's constant thoughts and teaches us about his plans for the future so that we have hope when we need it. So grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible to the book of Zechariah as we look for Christ in the Old Testament. Beautiful day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. You know, technology is a wonderful thing, and I am blessed that we have the ability to stream the services, something we've done for years and years now. But it does add another layer of complexity that sometimes can get messed up. So I'm blessed to have people dealing with that so that I don't have to. Praise the Lord. All righty. Turn in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter four. Zechariah chapter, this old, old Testament prophet. In the beginning, God created Everything, right? The heavens, the earth, and everything in it. He filled the earth up with stuff. And then once he was all done with all of that stuff, he says, it is very good. And then, Genesis 2, 8, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So God creates his garden. He creates man, puts man in the garden. And then God gives him a big overstuffed recliner and a remote control so that he can watch the you know the eternal golf channel or you know a thousand ways to prepare manna or you know whatever whatever he wanted to watch any time, gave him a, a mobile device so that he could interact with the whole world twenty-four hours a day. You know, you know, through this screen. And he could even order food delivered right to his recliner. He's living the perfect life, right? right. No, it's not what happened. God did something different. In Genesis 2.15, just a few verses after the one we just read. Then the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it put him to work. First thing. He makes his garden, he makes the man, and he puts him to work. And he put him to work doing something that was useful, productive, and good. God then created woman. And what did he do with her? He gave her work. Useful, productive, and good. And that's, that makes sense because... God works, doing things that are useful, productive and good. He made us in His image. And so it makes perfect sense. If He's working, that he, he would give us work to do as well. We're told that on the seventh day that God rested from His work of creation, but he never stopped working. He's working, he has been working. He's working to this very moment. Jesus said in John 5, 17, he said, Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now and I have been working. So God's working, Jesus said, and I'm working. So, you know, what does that mean for the rest of us? What should we be doing? Working. Working. It makes sense that there would be something that God has for his people to do something that's useful something that's productive something that is good i think one of the great privileges of being a child of god is joining in god's work if god is working then what more glorious thing could we be doing with our lives than coming alongside and joining in the work that god is doing in the world around us If he's still working then we should be able to see it and we should be able to join in to that work. John 14, 12 says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, Jesus speaking, the works that Jesus does, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Everything that God is doing in the world is useful, productive, and good. He's doing something. He's working in this world, and he has created us in his image so that we will work also doing good, productive, and useful things. So let's pray and and ask God to minister to each of our hearts about what that means to us each individually, because it's going to be something different for all of us. Heavenly Father, we do come and thank you for this day, this opportunity to get into your word, this Old Testament prophet, as it ministers to our heart about the works that you set before us. That, Lord, sometimes we, we, we get caught up in the stuff of life. We get busy about many things, but they may not be the things that you would call us to. And so I pray, open our hearts and minds that your spirit would minister to each of us your truth, that we might be able to walk in it, that we might be able to join you in that, in that good, useful, and productive work that you've set before us. We thank you, Lord, for all of this stuff in this day, and we give it to you in Jesus' name, amen. So our context here is we are in the fourth chapter of Zechariah. It's right in the middle of, of a series of visions that Zechariah re- received on a single day single night, I should say. And we're looking at the fifth of eight visions here this morning. And within it, we're going to see three principles that pertain to God's work. Three principles that we need to understand so that we can apply them to what it, whatever it is that God's called us to do. And so we need to recognize that because each of us has a thing, has things that God has called us to. And if we understand that, understand these principles, then we're going to be better able to do that good, useful, and productive work that God's established for all of us, regardless of how mature or young or experienced or whatever term we want to use here, God has something for all of us. We need to understand it. So first one, the first principle is God's work will be accomplished by God's Spirit. God's work is accomplished by God's Spirit. Zechariah 4, verse 1. Now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, well, what do you see? So I said, I'm looking, and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it, and... On the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl, and the other is at, at its left. So I answered, "This is Zechariah," and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, "What are these, my lord?" It's important to understand is that he sees this thing. He says, "Okay, I see it. I can describe it to you, but I don't know what it is. I don't know what it means." It's a symbol of something, but I don't know what the symbol is. I love that because it reminds us that, you know, that there's, we're going to read things in the Bible, we're going to look at it and say, I have no idea what that means. And it's okay for us to not understand, to ask the question, and then expect God to respond to us in some way. Verse 5. Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? And I said, uh, no, <laughs> my Lord. no. I'm hoping he didn't actually say it like that. Uh, but, you know, you know, part of me would think, it was "Like, well, well, I just told you I don't know what it means, so come on, angel. <laughs> careful, it's probably the angel of the Lord, so you might want to be careful how you respond to Jesus. So he answered me and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. This is one of those verses that's very familiar to us in the book of Zechariah gets quoted a lot he's saying he's speaking to gives us word he says you know cuz remember the, that that Zechariah just saw this this lamp you know this lamp stand and the lamps and all that and then he says well what is that and all of a sudden we're talking about Zerubbabel like okay what does that mean well we got to understand that, that there's all symbols and we can't get too deep into the symbols here we just don't have time for it but the, the, the lampstand and the oil that's connected with the lampstand that produces the light is all pointing to what is being told to Zerubbabel in verse 6. He's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So this lampstand is symbolic of the spirit and his work in the world and in the life of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel is the governor of Judah at this time. And he's one of the two key characters that's described in the book of Zechariah. Joshua, the high priest, and Zerubbabel, the governor, are both mentioned repeatedly in this book. And we go back to Haggai, which is a contemporary of Zechariah, that, that, that Haggai talked about the work that Zerubbabel was, was given to do in Haggai 1. 1 and 2, in the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, or this people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. What's going on is that they'd been in the land for a while, and they had started to build the temple, the Lord's house, and they got interrupted in it. And so they just kind of, kind of stopped and they started, you know, dealing with their own stuff, doing their own stuff, building their own houses, which is what Haggai is going to, going to give them a little, you know, a a rebuke and a, and a reminder, hey, you know, it's a, a, you know, you're, look at your lives, he says to them, you know, you're, you're, you're doing all this work, but it's, it's not fruitful. And it's not fruitful because you're doing the wrong thing. When God brought them back to the land, the very first thing he told them was to build the temple. And it's been like 16 years, and they still haven't done it. And he's saying, you know, look at how your life is going. You're, it's not blessed because you're not doing the thing that God called you to. You're not doing the work that God called you. You're doing work, and there's nothing necessarily evil or wrong with that work but it's not the work that God's going to bless because it's not the work that he called you to. So they're building nice big homes for themselves, but they're not finishing God's house. So in verse 8 of Haggai 1, it says this, Go up to the mountains, bring wood, and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified. There's two huge principles in that when we're doing God's work. There's two things we never want to miss that, that God is pleased when we do the work that he sets. I mean, that's, I'm going to touch on that a little bit later. We, we just have to meditate on the reality of what that is, and he is glorified when we do the work that he sets out for us. So, you know, so the, this word here, it's coming through Zechariah as a word of encouragement to Zerubbabel, the governor. Hey, let's get back to work. Let's keep at it. The, it's hard for us to imagine, you know, the, really the, the, the physical aspect of what was going on here—is he Rebuilding this temple, and, and, and we, we probably can't imagine how big of a task that was for them. You know, this is the second temple in Israel. The first one was built by Solomon. It was massive. It was glorious. From a, from a human perspective, there were few buildings on earth that compared to it. I mean, it was covered in gold and, and orange. It was just gorgeous. And so, and, and, you know, Solomon had an army of people building it. Matter of fact, he probably had more people building it than were living in Israel at the time that Zechariah wrote this prophecy. So it's a huge task. And there are people in Israel that remembered the old temple. And so the, the idea of rebuilding this thing was just enormous, the task was just overwhelming. And they're living in an area that has been desolate for 70 years. Would have been a huge thing. And, you know, when Solomon built his temple, they were pretty much at peace with everyone around them. That was not the case with Zechariah. They had opposition. They had people resisting them. They had people trying to stop them. And so the Lord sends this message through Zechariah to Zerubbabel, Telling him, the work will get done. But you're really not going to be the one who does it, he says to him. The lampstand reminded them of the lampstand that stood in the original temple. And the repeated use of the number seven is important. Numbers are important in the Bible. Though we want to be careful not to get too weird about it. But often it's used as a picture of completeness. That it's you know, in, in this application, it's used several times to say, Hey, it's the work is gonna get done. The work that I've assigned to you, I've signed, I want you to rebuild this temple, it will get done. It did, it did get done, and that temple stood for 400 years, it stood until the time that Herod came, and Herod came in and he just made it bigger and more beautiful. But it was the original temple that they built in this time, so it was a big deal it would be completed. And, he wanted, and God wanted Zerubbabel to know that, but not by might, not by power. Saying so There are a couple of ways to interpret this, but what we might say is that, you know, that God didn't need Zerubbabel, didn't need his might or his power to build the temple. Could God build it all by himself? Could they just wake up one morning and all of a sudden there's a temple sitting there? Yes, they could. They could have done that. He could have done that. He could have used angels to do it. He could use God's enemies to do it. God can do anything he wants. And that would probably have been a good thing. I, I would imagine that's an occurrence, that God's saying, hey, you know what, you know what, Zerubbabel? I don't really need you to do this job. And was saying, "Woo, good, because <laughs> I was feeling a little bit overwhelmed by this whole project. Solomon had... Thousands and thousands upon thousands of of conscripted conscripted workers to get the job done. All Zerubbabel has is a few thousand exiles that have returned. God doesn't need our might. He doesn't need our power to do the good works he's prepared for us to do. And the image that, that kind of popped into my mind as I was preparing for this is sometimes when I'm working out in the yard, um, my grandson, my four-year-old grandson, Harvey, will decide that he must help me. That's when he's not hunting lizards, which is his number one hobby right now, is hunting and capturing lizards. When he's not doing that, and he sees me doing something, he wants to help. But, you know, but he's four. And sometimes the thing he wants to help me with is bigger and heavier than he is. And so, and so But you know, rather than turning him away, I will let him put his hand to the work. And then I will come alongside him, and I will make up the difference of what, what he can't do, and we, we will do it together. But in reality, who's doing most of the, you know, most of the work? It's, it's me. And the same thing is true here. Whenever God applies a work to us, he wants us to put our hands to the work. He wants, us to, he wants us to, you know, to grab this thing that is bigger and heavier and harder and, and more impossible than we can possibly imagine. He just wants us to get up there and start. Put our hands on it and start pushing, start lifting, start whatever it is. Because if it's something he wants us to do, what's he going to do? His spirit's going to do what? going to come and to make up all of the difference. The Lord encourages the rubber bell, put your hand to the work. Just start. Just start doing it. And God will finish it. And we know that He did. Historically, we know that the, the temple was finished just a, just a couple of years after they started it. Human effort is, is always going to be insufficient to accomplish God's work. Human effort is always insufficient to accomplish God's work. Another way of saying that, if you can do it without the Holy Spirit, it's not God. It's not God's work. Galatians 3.3. 3, Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? It's a rhetorical question. You can't do it. If you start something in the Spirit, you can't perfect it in the flesh. That the flesh is inadequate, insufficient to accomplish the good and productive work that God has for us. So God's work must be empowered by God's Spirit in God's people to, to, who humbly apply themselves, just simply put their hands to the work, whatever it might be. And this is important. One of the things we've got to keep in mind we talk about work you know, who is God calling to work? Well, if I understand Ephesians 2.10, for we, God's people, all of them, you know, believers, are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which tells us that, that there are good works that God is. It, it goes on to say, prepared beforehand, meaning before he even called us. He prepared good works for us to do. And these are good works of God that require the Spirit of God to empower them so that they can actually be accomplished. He, he, he's given them to all of us, to every single person, not just, not just those people that are sitting behind the little you know, retaining walls so that we can only see their eyes, or the, you know, the people that stand up here and do the worship, or you know, the ones we can't see at all that are back in the children's ministry. Not them, but every last one of us. There's something, there's a good work that is called, God has called all of us to do. it's not the same work. You know, the work that he's called me to do is not the same work he's called you to do. Something different. And even though, as we're we're talking about Zerubbabel, the work, the task that God put before him seemed impossible. It wasn't impossible because God had called him to it and God promised to, to bring his spirit to bear to accomplish the work. It's going to get done, Zerubbabel. It will be finished. So the second principle is that God's work must not be despised for its small beginnings. In Zechariah 4, continue on to verse 7. Who are you, O great mountain? As, as Zechariah, excuse me, Zorabel is looking at this task, he's just probably imagining it. I, I just, I don't know how we're going to get there. I don't know how we're going to get it done. These massive stones, all this lumber we've got to get, all this rubble we get out to get out of the way. How are, we going to, how are we going to do it, God? Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. Oh, this great mountain of a task, eh, be wiped flat. No big deal, we got it. You got this, Zerubbabel. And he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. The capstone was the last stone on the temple the very last stone, the very last piece for it before it to be complete. He says, Zerubbabel will place that last stone. He will finish the task. He will get it all the way done. All this rubble we see, all these, you know, figuring out how to get all people organized and, 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 and you know, inspired to come and help and all these things, it's all going to work. It's all going to come together because the Holy Spirit's going to do it. And Zerubbabel, you will place that last stone You'll finish the work. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. It's going to be finished. Zerubbabel will start it, and he will finish it. The, the, for these seven... Excuse me, I'm sorry. I jumped ahead. And Then you will know the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised Despise the day of small things. For these seven, rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. Zerubbabel had already started. You know, we, that happened after Haggai uh, gave his prophecy. They started the work. They'd only only been at it for a couple of months at this point. But it may have been very discouraging because the work was probably going pretty slow. It did take a couple of years for them to finish it, so it probably wasn't going super fast. God's telling them, hey, telling Zorabel and anybody else who's listening, it's going to get done. And encourage everyone, encouraging the leader, encouraging everyone that has come along. God's work done by God's people, by God's spirit, will be completed. Andy shared um, about the devotional that that we have out there. In 2005, as a part of my personal daily devotion, I had been I had been reading the Bible for years and years, and and God <clears throat> really kind of said, you know, okay, you know, I felt like I I needed to do something different, and and I said, okay, and so what am I going to do? And and then as I was reading, one of the verses that in my daily reading kind of popped out. You know, it's, I don't know if you ever noticed that. You're reading, a, you're reading something and all of a sudden a verse says, huh, that's interesting or that's, that's powerful or that's meaningful or, you know, something. Something about it just causes it to stand out from the page. Anybody besides me have that happen? Where you're reading the Bible and just something happens and, said, and God said, well, why don't you write something about that? okay. And so I took a minute, I meditated on it, and I just let the Spirit lead me, and I wrote a one-page devotional on that. And I went the next day, and I read, and boop, there's another verse, and God says, do it again. Okay. And then it happened, and it started to become a, a pattern that I did every day. I would read the Bible, and I'd take, you know, 30, 40 minutes and write this one-page devotional. And I was doing it for Rick, you know, it was part of my connection and, and relation with the, with the Lord. I wasn't, I wasn't doing it to publish it or any of that kind of stuff. And God did eventually, I, I started talking to people about it. Man, I was, I, was, I, I spent this time with the Lord and, 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 and he showed me this and this and this. And, and you know, I wrote this about it. And people were saying, well, why aren't you sharing those things? I'm like, because oh, they're for me? Why would I share them? And God said, well, no, I, don't, I didn't give it just for you. And so God then eventually gave me a goal of writing one for every chapter of the Bible. 1,189. That's how many chapters in the Bible, in case you're wondering. Uh, not quite there yet, but I'm close to 1,000. Close to 1,000 of these one-page devotionals. And How did I do that? One day at a time. I don't do it every day, you know. The Lord's led me to other things, but I still get back to it every now and then. The Lord will still, you know, I'll, I'll be reading something and whoop, there's one, and I'll stop and I'll write it. And it's a neat time for me. It doesn't matter what it is that God calls us to, you know. I mean, I mean, if you sat down this morning and said, you know what, I'm going to write one page about every chapter of the Bible. 1,189 pages. Okay, that, that would be, would that sound like an impossible task? It did for me when I first thought about it too. But I just, I just write one. I just write one. And tomorrow, you know, if the Lord leads, I'll write one tomorrow. And the day after that, and the day after that. And if the Lord tarries, then I'm going to get to all of them. I don't know what I'm going to do after that. I might have to, you know, get one for every verse of the Bible. It's 33,000, never mind. It doesn't matter how big the task is. It doesn't matter how small the task is. If God sets it before you and says, this is what I want you to do. One, you must have the Holy Spirit both in you and empowering you and the work To accomplish it but if he does set it before you and then he does give the holy spirit to you to do it he will complete it whatever it is and that's where faith comes in because we look at some of these things i can't do that i can't i can't do whatever it is that's there well well, you're probably right you probably can't but he can and we have to trust him to do that and here's, here's one of these things. One of these things that, you know, this is one of those things that would have popped out to me. I don't know if I've ever written one of this, but I'll have to go back and look. He says, these seven rejoice. For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. The idea there is that, is that when, when, when Zerubbabel took the tools of building the temple. The plumb line, there's different ways of interpreting that particular phrase. But whatever it is, one of the tools for building the temple, these seven rejoice to see that, just a tool in his hand. Seeing that he's applying his hand to the work. These seven he's referring to are the eyes of the Lord. The eyes of the Lord which see everything the number seven is completeness, the idea of omniscience. God knows everything. He sees everything. There is nothing that escapes the gaze of God. And when, when he sees us, Zerubbabel or us, put our hand to the work that he's set before us, God rejoices. Take a, just think about that for a second. God rejoices to see you start the work. When I sit down, if I sit down and I say, you know what, I think I'll write one of those devotionals today, God rejoices at that moment before a single word is typed on that page. The fact that I see God says, go do it, write that one. He rejoices when I sit down to do it. Now, does he rejoice at the end of it? Sure, he does. But it rejoices when I believe enough. I, I believe God enough to start that thing that may be impossible. You know, writing the devotional is okay. I'm not going to say that is in the, in, the, in the realm of impossibility for me. I can just do that. I do actually appreciate it when the Holy Spirit shows up because it's way better when he does. But that's what God wants. He wants us just to start whatever it is. Whatever you sense God saying to you, this is the thing. Do this thing. Just start. And in heaven, can you imagine God rejoicing? God rejoicing. I, like, I, I, it's one of those things that make me wonder about heaven. You know, we, I, I, sometimes I think we have these, these really weird and wrong ideas about God. But he's excited. He's happy when all I do, when all I do I say, yeah, I think I'll try that. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'll I think I'll do what God wants. And God rejoices. Give me that's just me. I'm gonna have to write something about that today. I'll just take my notes. There you go. Whatever God calls you to do, whatever it is, whether it's gigantic or just tiny. Honestly, you know, I've written written a neighborhood of a thousand of these devotionals. It's not impossible for me to do that anymore. But I try to imagine God directing me to do it. And then when I do sit down to do it, I try to imagine him rejoicing in heaven that I've sat down to do what he's calling me to do, even though I've done it a thousand times already. He still rejoices. I love that. It's just me, I guess. And it doesn't matter how big it is. It can be tiny. Some small little thing or some giant thing. You know that makes no difference to God, right? If God calls you to something gigantic, enormous, impossible? Is it any harder for God to do that than to help me to write a devotional? Nope. No harder. Third principle. God's work values people more than things. Verse 11. Then I answered and said to him, what are these two olive trees at the right of the lampstand and at its left? And I further answered and said to him, what are these two olive branches that drip into the receptacles of the two gold pipes from which the golden oil drains? Then he answered me and said, do you not know what these are? And I answered, uh, no, my Lord. Again, he didn't probably answer like that. But he did, yeah, I, you just got to love some of these things. And some of it is just the way that, that uh, the Jewish mind Thinks is how how this is done. We we look at it differently, but that it's a very natural question and answer process for them. But he's answering the question, don't you know what these are? And 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 Zachariah says, No, I don't know what these are. So he said, verse 14 These are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. The word anointed there also could be translated the sons of oil. And so the image of oil there is there, which connect to the lampstand and the branches and all of that. It's all connected to that. And these are the, the best interpretation of that. Is This is pointing to, to the two people that this book focuses on, Joshua the high priest and Zerubbabel the governor. These two are the, the, the two anointed ones for this particular work. There's an, also an interesting connection to the book of Revelation and that uh, these two anointed ones could very well be the two witnesses in Jerusalem. So that's an interesting little study for you Revelation Bible students. They say, that Who stand by the, beside the Lord is an image of serving the Lord. God chooses people. And you know, one of the great mysteries of, of God's work in the world is why he chooses the people he does. Why in the world would he choose me to pastor this church? It's something I marvel over regularly. Why would he choose any of us to do anything? You know, you know what the answer is? Because. Because he's God, because he did. There's no reason. He didn't pick me because I'm, I'm special or I'm good or I'm, I'm you know, gifted in some way. He chose me and then gave me what I need so that I could do the work by the Spirit. And so we, we've got to recognize that when God calls us to do something, don't ask him why. It makes, you wouldn't understand it even if he explained it to you. If he asks you to do it, it's because he wants you to do it. And there there doesn't have to be a reason. Because the very best person in the universe to do any particular job and the very worst person in the universe to do that same job can do it if God sends his spirit, because he makes up the difference, whether they're good or, or weak or strong or powerful or, or experienced or inexperienced, it makes absolutely no difference to God. If he calls you and tells you to do it, he sends his spirit, all you got to do is put your hand to the work. He'll take your four-year-old four effort and apply his strength to it, to accomplish the work. God chooses People. And he may use small people to do small works. He may take small people and make them big to do big works. He, may, he can take good people and do small works or great. He can do whatever he wants. And we, we look at him and say, why would God bless that person to do that particular thing? Because. Because he did. And here's the thing. Any work that God does is great. Anything he does. When, when we simply say yes to God, God says something before us as we say yes, God. I don't know how I'm going to do that. I, I don't know if I'm able to do that. I don't know if, I, if I'm the right person to do that. But I think you've said it before me, for me to do it, Yes. Yes. I'm going to put my hand to the work and trust God that you will send the Holy Spirit to do the work. That's going to be a great work. But it's not the work that's important. That's not the main thing. What's really important is the impact that work is going to have on people, starting with you. You know, when God calls you to do a work, it's because he's trying to do something in you first, and then through you second. That's so important. We understand that. It's not about the thing that I'm doing. Listen, God doesn't want me to write 1,189 devotional just so I can say, woo look at me. I think he wants to minister to somebody, starting with me, because Again, that's why I originally started writing them, because I was trying to let God minister to my spirit, my soul. But not just me alone. To let that go and do whatever it might do, wherever it might do it out there, too. He wants to use these things, whether they're big or small, for His glory, but also to bless other people, to grow faith. And any true work of God will do all three. They'll glorify God, they'll bless others, and they'll grow faith. Listen, God is always working. He is always working. And he he invites us to join him in his work in the world. He created us in his image, and then he prepared good works for each one of us. Is God prepared the people in this account? Joshua the high priest, his job, his, his good work, the work that he was called to, was to lead people toward repentance, holiness, and righteousness in their worship of God. That's what, that's what God gave to Joshua to do. A, pretty big task. And then he, then he calls Zerubbabel and he says to him, I want you to do the work of rebuilding this temple. I want you to be the leader that causes this temple to be built so that the people have a place to worship God. Do you know what God has called you to do for him? Do you know what he's calling you to do? Now, now I understand we're all in different seasons of life. Some of us are busy with a career. Some of us are busy raising families. Some are, you know, busy being retired, busy whatever we might be doing. But has God, have you discovered what God has called you to do for Him? Now, now, many of the things that we do, we're doing because everybody else in the world does them too. We we all we all. Raise families we all we're you know if we're married we're you know doing the work of being married all of the stuff but as god called you to something specific to a work to a thing and, and and it could be in the church it could be at your workplace it could be something but it's something a work that he's set before you that you cannot do without him. That you might, not even, you might not even be inclined to try it, but he's called you to it. He's put it on your heart. There are things that God has done through me that first he, start, he did in me. He started to do something in me. And I started to sense there's something, something that God has done in me that he wants to come out of me. What work, great work, has God called you to do? Remind ourselves that for some people you know, you already know. You already know what God's called you to do. And whether it's great or small, we have got to remind yourself it's God that's going to do it. It's the Holy Spirit that's going to do that work. And you know, something I, I was, even as I was sitting here this morning, you know, I've, I've stood up here and I've preached a thousand times probably, conservatively since 2004. You know, virtually every Sunday and a bunch of Wednesdays and Bible studies and men's breakfast, it's been a lot. I was sitting there this morning and I, and I, and I, 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 I sensed, and I think we had the last song, I can't remember exactly what it was, but the words led me to, to think, God, I can't do this without you. I don't even want to try to do it without you. Remind yourself that all God wants you to do is put your hand to the work. Start. Start whatever it might be. What whatever whatever you sense, whatever direction you sense God's calling you to, put your hand to it and then trust him to do the heavy lifting, the hard parts. And don't despise it if it's small. There is no small work of God. None. There is no work that God has established for his people that is small. It may be small in the world's eyes, but not in God's. God will rejoice over you if you do the smallest thing for him. Whatever it might be. If it's God's work, it is glorious. Rejoice in that and do it. And then, never forget that God's work is about people. It's not about you. It's going to affect you. It's going to impact you. It's going to influence you, but it's not about you. It's about them. It's always about them. Now, we don't know who the them is. I, I don't know who the them is. You know, right now, you know, we're, we're recording this. We're broadcasting this live. I don't know who the them is out there. I can look at all of you. I know all the thems is in this room right here, but I don't know who's out there. But it's about, it's about you. It's about them. It's about you, anyone who will watch it, this work right now that we're doing. And if you don't know what God's calling you to do, two things. First, draw nearer to God. Because if you don't know what God is calling you to do, that's a sign. Because the closer we are to God, the nearer we are to him, the more intimate our walk is with him, the better we know what he's calling us to do. The better we understand what it is that he's, the the thing, the work, the good work that he's calling us to do is. Draw near to him. Just make that your good work for right now. Draw nearer to God until you can hear his voice more clearly saying, this is what I want you to do. And, he, and he's probably calling you to do more than just live your life. I'm just gonna live my life for Jesus. Okay, in, in case you're wondering, that's everyone's work, right? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we're all called to that. We're all called to live for Jesus and to do it in a way that glorifies Him, bless others, and grows faith. But there's also things beyond that, things that stand outside of that, and you have to allow God to teach you and show you what that is. And the second thing is, after you're drawing near to God, the second thing is, do something, anything, for God, just anything. Look around. And see, is there something I can do outside of what I always do, what I do every single day? Is there something outside? When I started writing devotions because I said, I think, I think there's more. I think there's something beyond where I am than where I am. The same thing for all of us. Look around your life. Look around your neighborhood, your workplace, your church. There's something that you can do. There's always something you can do. And you have to have eyes that desire to see what God is doing, what God wants to do. And remind yourself that no work is too small. I believe, I know it, I've I've experienced it. This is how I, I got to where I am spiritually. As I did that, I just looked and said, okay, what do you want me to do, God? And he led me to something that was horrible. I didn't want to do it. And then he made me do it for like two years. But you know what it led me to the next thing which led me to the next thing which led me to the next thing. That doesn't mean he's going to lead you in the same way, but we have to we have to just open ourselves up. God, what do you want? How can I what can I do that's just one step beyond where I am? Something outside of my normal life with you. Now, you may not hear anything. That's okay. You just keep drawing nearer to God, keep drawing near to God, but you keep opening yourself up, looking around, keeping your eyes open, seeing what's around you, and saying, is there a way that I can serve God that's different than the way that I'm serving him today? And if he shows you something, don't get blown away by it. You know, well, I can't do that. You're absolutely right, but he can. You trust him, And you just put your hand to the work and then trust he's right behind you. The Holy Spirit's right there with you and he's going to carry it. And you feel feel like, like Harvey does when I'm helping him, like he's doing all of it. He feels so strong when I'm helping him. God's work, whether it's great or small, is useful, productive, and good. And it leads to God's glory, it leads to the blessing of people, and it leads to greater faith, first in the person doing the work and then those who are benefiting from it. And when that's happening, people are going to see and meet Jesus. The greatest work that has ever been done in human history was done on the cross. And the second greatest work was the day you believed and you received Christ. And the next greatest work is when you turned around and told someone else about it. Everything we do, everything we do for God leads to that. No matter what work you do, small or great, will lead someone to see and meet their Savior in some way, somehow, and we may not understand that. We may not see the connections that cause it. But everything we do for God ultimately leads to Christ. And that is there is no greater thing than that. If you can start to see that, you know, one of the things when I'm writing those devotionals or, or I'm preparing messages, you know, and, and while there's a, maybe a more direct connection, but I see in that somehow I don't know how this one-page devotional is going to lead someone to Jesus Christ. I don't have any clue how that might happen. But God is pretty amazing. And he can do, with my humble words, the impossible. And we have to believe that and trust him and just put your hand to the work and then watch what happens after that. Amen? Heavenly Father, we do give this time to you and pray, Lord, for your touch upon us and each one of us, Lord God. Some, Lord, as we, as we sit here this morning, we, we have a fairly clear idea. And Lord, you, you just put on my heart just now, Lord, some of us have been doing the same thing for years and years and years. And Lord, we're probably not doing what I just suggested that all of us should be doing. And we're, we may not be looking around to see what it is that you want to do because we're so busy doing the last thing you told us to do. And so I pray, Lord, that all of us, whether we've been, we've been serving you or, or, you know, brand new to it, we be looking around and seeing, Lord, is there something... Something beyond where I am that you're calling me to do. Some work that you've set before me that maybe I've been, I've been missing. I've, I haven't seen it. I've been, I've been so busy doing the last thing that I, I haven't been looking for the next thing. And so I pray, Lord, that you give us eyes to see what you want to do in your, in your people, by your Spirit, for your glory, and for the name of our Savior, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here, anyone watching this live or anyone who will watch it in the future that is seeing this and recognizing the greatest work that we will ever accomplish in this life is a simple act of faith when we receive you as our Lord and Savior. And so I pray if there's anyone that's watching this right now even here right now that has not done that, has not received you as their Savior, that they would open their heart to that great work right now. It's a, it's a miraculous work that can only be done by the Holy Spirit, by faith. And so we pray, Lord, pour out your grace upon them that they would know you as their personal Savior. And then for the rest of us, Lord, those of us that have done that, that, Lord, that we would rejoice in that work daily, Remind ourselves of that great work and then remind ourselves that anything we do for you is pointed at that, is pointing people to Jesus, pointing them in some humble way maybe, some simple act of, of, of faith, some, some small work of that, that to many would be inconsequential, but every single one of them, if it's you working, God, it's a great work and it is leading them to Jesus. It's leading them to your glory. It's leading them to blessing. It's leading them to faith. And I pray, Lord, that you'd give us eyes to see what it is that you're doing in the world around us. And then you give us eyes to see the part that you want us to play. And then you give us the faith to reach out our hand and put it to the work that you've set before us, believing, Holy Spirit, that you will come and do all of the hard parts for us trusting you to do that, trusting you to do the impossible things that every great work of God has wrapped up in them. And so I pray, Father, help us, be with us, lead us, guide us. Holy Spirit, fill us to overflowing, that we might do the small or great works that you set before your people, and that, Lord, we do it all in the name of Jesus. And we pray in his name, amen. God bless you all. If we can pray with you, please let us pray with you. Otherwise, have a radical week with Jesus, amen? Go do something. Thank you for joining us on this exciting journey through the book of Zechariah. It is our hope that these messages will help you to grow in your faith. If there's anything that we can do to help you with that, don't hesitate to connect with us. You can do that by going to calvaryfv.com slash connect and you'll find all the ways that you can connect with us there. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. And one of the ways that we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying for you. You can send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951 419 53 Nine, six. If this material has been useful to you, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, Go be radical with Jesus.